Welcome back to the Georgia 2022 show. It's May 15th, and we're getting close to the GOP primary in Georgia. It's a packed show today. I'm here with my co-host, Christine Dolan. Uh, the show is brought to you by the Georgia Record and CD Media. First, we're gonna, we've got a long uh, list of guests today. First, we're going to get Richard Barris on to tell us about the CD Media Big Data poll that just came out with some very interesting numbers in Georgia. Uh, then uh, former senator and gubernatorial candidate David Perdue is going to join us for a very interesting discussion. Then we'll have DeKalb County GOP Chairman Marcy McCarthy to talk about some of the local races, which are fired up. She's doing amazing work in a very liberal county. And finally, we'll end up with Kevin Grinley, a state Senate candidate in District 48 in Georgia. So with that, uh, we'll get going. I'm going to bring Richard Barris on. Hey, Thanks Richard. Thanks for joining us, Rich. So, um, hello. We, hello. We've had some interesting news this week uh, on the poll. It's our third CD yeah. Media Big Data poll. And uh, tell us what you found out, Rich. Yeah, yeah. First, let's talk about the primary electorate, because I think mm -hmm. contrary to what a lot of people think they saw when we released that poll, I think the headline here is that, uh, you know, everyone's looking at the gubernatorial election and that Kemp has not closed the deal. Um, that, you know, our, that's what our polling shows. Other polls, uh, you know, showed that he was starting to break away a little bit. But I think it's very clear and you have to look at actually the primary electorate to understand what's going on. Voters 56 to 44 say they're going to participate in the Republican primary over the Democratic primary. That's actually hurting Brian Kemp because there are these new voters that uh, have not voted. They're not primary voters, typical primary voters. Um, and they're in the 10th congressional district, right? They're in Jody Heiss's backyard, which is bad for Raffensperger and bad for Brian Kemp. They're in those coastal and southern counties in Georgia. Again, bad for Brian Kemp. If all of the votes were counted right now, let's just start with the governor's race. Mm -hmm. If the votes that have been cast were counted right now, Brian Kemp would be in the 40s, about 44, 45%. That's a runoff. He would be forced into a runoff. On election day, he's below 50%. His entire 50 plus, Todd and Christine, comes from people who said they have not yet voted, but they plan to vote early. They just haven't done it yet. The votes aren't in the bank. And this mm -hmm. is something that uh, people are overlooking. It's the Atlanta Journal-Constitution printed out their analysis last week. It's completely backward. This is why mm -hmm. Brian Kemp is bringing in Mike Pence. This is why Brian Kemp is asking for George W. Bush to come, uh, because they need these votes in the Atlanta suburbs, in the Atlanta metro area, to push Brian Kemp over 50%, because he is not there. He's not there. And those, those northern counties and those southern coastal counties are much more favorable to Donald Trump and they're going with his candidates. So the more we see these non-traditional Republicans voting in the Republican primary, the worse it is for Brian Kemp. It's that simple. What about the open election and Democrats voting, Rich? How's that going to happen? We did see about 10, almost 10 percent, roughly, of Democrats saying they're going to vote. They are voting overwhelmingly for Brian Kemp over David Perdue. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. Um, mm -hmm. If it's very close, it could be something that that has the deciding effect. Um, mm -hmm. But interestingly, Todd, look at independence in our poll. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. everyone thought that Kemp would be the independent and moderate. Um, the truth is there are two different groups of voters. Kemp mm -hmm. is winning the moderates, but he's not winning 50 plus of independence. So the more independents vote in the Republican primary, the, the better it is for David Perdue. Of course, the more Democrats that vote in the Republican primary, the worse it is for Brian Kemp. And I just, you know, I got to say this. I mean, we're not the only ones to find this. The polling is a little bit, there's no other word to use. It's a little bit misleading when you look at Kemp versus Abrams and Purdue versus Abrams. Because what it shows, there's a good number of Democrats who will tell a pollster that they, they um, approve of the job Brian Kemp is doing. That is because he put his thumb in Donald Trump's eye. And they, 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 they like that. Um, but when it comes down to it, you know, that difference between Purdue and Kemp among Democratic voters in the general election will vanish. I, I can't stress this enough to people. It's I've seen this before where a candidate mm -hmm. looks like they're stronger because they're getting crossover support. At the end of the day, Abrams will get the lion's share of those Democrats. They will come home to her and that will just leave who does better among the base and among independents. At the end of the day, Purdue is going to do nine and ten in the base. And he is leading with independence over Abrams uh, by a similar margin that Kemp is. I think there's a risk that the 20 plus percent 
of the Republican base who tells us that, and it's right in the poll. Again, this is the third time we found this, uh, you know, that there's more than two in 10, almost one in four Republicans who just can't stand him. And there's a risk that they leave that bubble blank, Todd. Mm. You know, they just leave that bubble blank and there's an undervote. So I would, you know, I, I, I've seen this happen before and I would, I would definitely I'm, want to point it out because I, I would, God would caution people about it. We have right. Kemp leading by about, you know, almost seven where Purdue leads by about three. That's only because of that democratic crossover and a slightly, you know, uh, what looks to be a slightly right. bigger, uh, you know, a support among independents. So in the end, at the end of the day, it'll be gone, Todd. Hmm. You know, Rich, we, we have been down there twice now, uh, last July for an American Conversation Town Hall, and then this past February, and this is in the northern suburbs. And I know that from, from just looking at the people in the audience, these are what I call the mad as hell, not going to take it anymore, voters that have never been involved with politics before. Do you Did you find a breakdown? Because we met a lot of mama bears yeah. in our audiences. That's interesting you say that. Men are more likely to support Brian Kemp than women are. Women are below 50 for Brian Kemp. Men are just about there. Uh, so, it, and by the way, you were just talking about the northern suburbs. Kemp is the weakest in the northern counties that butt against Tennessee. And of course, over more in the east, you have you know, Carolina regions. It looks starts to look more like South Carolina. He's the weakest in those counties. And he's the weakest in the coastal south outside of everywhere except for Savannah. So, you know, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because you would think years ago that area, the southern area, actually was more of a Democratic area before this realignment started to happen. You had a lot of working class Democrats in that northern area. You would you would think were more moderate, even affluent um, Republicans. He's doing the worst in those two areas. Uh, the central part of the state, he was doing better than than I actually expected, but not at all surprising that his prayer of getting above 50 rests on turnout in the Atlanta, uh, DeKalb, Cobb areas. I mean, that's, that's it. Yeah. That's what, that's what it comes down to. And whether or not, if there's disproportionate turnout in those other two regions, he's in trouble. What about yeah. the other races, Rich? I'm sorry, Christine. Go oh, no, let's go ahead. Go ahead. Well, how did the other, what, what else did you find in the poll? We've got about two minutes. Yeah, a very the headline in this Walker continues to lead Warnock. This is now multiple polls. He is consistently led. It tightened a little bit because it tightened a little bit in the Atlanta suburbs, but that mm -hmm. was only due to people like a larger undecided number. In the end, I think Walker still looks solid because overall he has been leading in the burbs uh, for the better part of a year uh, against Warnock in, in a hypothetical matchup. So when those Atlanta suburbs do decide, I think they're likely to decide for Walker more than they are for Warnock, and he'll probably surpass him like he did in the other two polls we've conducted in Georgia over the last nine months. Um, you know, And then this is interesting, though, to note. The Hispanic vote in the Sun Belt is very much following the trend that we see nationwide. It's moving to the GOP. But everybody should go to CD Media Go and check out the cross tabs, read, read the article itself, and you'll see the hypothetical rematch between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. The media will try to make Georgia a referendum on Trump, right? And his power there. Interestingly, Hispanics barely are going for the Republican on the generic ballot. Barely. It still shows that shift. But Donald Trump is winning them 47-41 over Joe yeah. Biden. It's a huge deal. That is Walker's um, challenge. He needs to start making more appeals to those voters. Uh, mm -hmm. Trump does better than Walker does among minorities to include among black voters. Walker does decent, 13 percent. But Donald Trump could crack 17 percent of the black vote in Georgia, which would be total annihilation. Walker's lead comes from a dominant position among uh, white voters and among rural and suburban voters. Uh, Donald Trump is, is building a different kind of coalition. And it's this is Georgia is not the only place we're seeing this. Todd, Christine, we see this everywhere, everywhere, where Donald Trump routinely outpaces the generic Republican among Hispanic voters. Why does that matter? They're the ones who are growing. That's the truth. Um, right, you yeah. know, look at the census just came out. There is no domestic white voter growth at all. This is, uh, you know, this is a country that will see a larger and larger share of the Hispanic working class being part of the electorate. And that is if the Republican Party is looking to figure out who they're going to represent um, or who they want to represent, what kind of party they want to be. This is a no brainer. 
absolute no-brainer. Uh, also, a very tight race for Secretary of State. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion. The Senate primary, uh, Walker's now, you know, pulling six and ten. So yeah. it, it's that's a wrap. <laughs> it's a wrap, folks. You know. So you can find the well go ahead christine go ahead we got time i was just going to real quickly in terms of the border with the hispanic vote is the is the southern border still a major issue to the hispanic yeah well i think that's a mistake christine that mediaites and even republican establishment figures make uh they just like everybody else are wondering why we care so much about other people's borders instead of our own. They're hurting from inflation right now. Cost of living is killing them. It's not just gas prices. Housing and shelter is a major concern for the Hispanic voter right now. And, you know, if you own a home and you got in before the market, before home prices took off, you know, well, good for you. But a lot of these people didn't, Christine, and they, they, they are paying rent, you know, or they're looking for their first home to buy right now. And because maybe rates went from 3% to 4.1, they're no longer eligible for a loan. I mean, it's right. horrid for the, for, on the ground, what we hear is horrible. And, yeah. uh, you know, your, your heart goes out while you listen to it. It really does. Well, Rich, uh, people can find the information on the CD Media Big Data Poll on the uh, upper menu on cdm.press. Uh, but I want people to know we want to, we, you've been the most accurate the last two presidential cycles. And uh, we are looking to make a difference. So we'll be choosing the next CD Media Poll big data polls soon as to where that location is, but we're going to brand this, uh, and make it a national, uh, you know, kitchen table, uh, word of mouth kind of poll. So thank you for coming Don't on. Rich. We'll have you back. Yeah, we did Virginia. one in Virginia. You nailed Virginia, buddy. We did. Nailed we got to pick the next one and make the biggest impact. So thank yeah. you very much, Rich. We'll have you back on soon. Thanks, Rich. All the best, guys have a good day. Take Thanks. care. So we, uh, David or uh, Senator David Perdue, a uh, very busy man. He we spoke with him earlier in the week. We're going to replay that interview shortly. But I want to give you a quote his office sent us uh, after the uh, Georgia courts uh, dismissed the case on the Fulton County and ballot inspection. Uh, Senator Perdue said today's ruling is another example of how the establishment continues to cover up what happened in 2020, and we will vigorously appeal the decision. Courts across the country have been dismissing cases not based on evidence, but because of procedural nonsense. Enough with all these excuses. People deserve to know what happened, and those who committed the fraud should go to jail. If our elected officials and courts won't enforce the law, where do voters and candidates go to challenge voter fraud? So with that, we're now going to replay our uh, interview earlier this week with uh, Senator David Perdue, who's running for the GOP spot for governor. We're back on the Georgia 2022 show, and we have a special guest with us today, GOP gubernatorial candidate, David Senator David Perdue. Welcome, Senator. Hey, good morning, guys. Hope you're well. Good morning. Thank you. I, I want to start off, Senator. We're in the middle of a, a CD Media big data poll, which our, our pollster, Richard Barris, has been the most accurate back through 2016. Um, and it's showing you, like other polls, with Kemp has a lead, but our poll is showing Kemp really below 50%, meaning he's probably maxing out on his vote uh, in this open primary. And so for you to get to the runoff, you basically need voters to get to the polls, correct? So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the reason I got in here is that our governor had divided the party over the election of 2020 when he allowed Stacey Abrams to take over the election and then did nothing to really correct that. Uh, not to undo the election, but to make sure that it didn't happen in the runoff or in subsequent elections. But uh, because of that, he's divided the party and his polling re uh, represents that. I mean, can you imagine an incumbent governor not being able to poll over 50 percent? I mean, that's the problem we have in Georgia. And so when you go into November and project him running against Stacey Abrams, he won't be able to pull together the party and unite us the way I did in 2020. That's why I got in this race, pure and simple. You have to win regular Republicans, women in the suburbs, and you have to get the Trump voter, the MAGA voter. And he just won't be able to do that. Um, and so that's why we were in here. And I think that's why the polls are having a hard time picking this up. But early voting started last week. The election is May 24th. And I'm very encouraged at this point. So one of the other questions we're asking is, does the GOP, well, all voters have trust in their party leadership in the state to hold a free and fair election. And it's showing only about two in 10 really have high level of trust. Any comments on that for the for the GOP leadership in Georgia? 
Well, that distrust is justified. I mean, the governor allowed it to happen, denied it happened, covered it up, and is now suppressing evidence. And so is the attorney general and secretary of state. That's why I asked for Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state's resignation in November of 2020, when we could get nowhere. The governor declined allowing us a special session to investigate. We weren't trying to overturn the election. We just wanted it fixed before the runoff. Mm-hmm. And then I joined three lawsuits back then. So what we have right now is a situation like Virginia. The situation is not perfect, but we can overwhelm it if we all get out and vote. And that's what President Trump told the people of Virginia. It's not perfect. Get out and vote and you can overwhelm it. And sure enough, they did. And they elected a, a Republican in a Democrat state in a general election, though. And what I'm trying to do is encourage everybody. You can't wait for the general. You're going to default on your nominee. You, If you want a choice in that, you got to vote now. Uh, Senator, when you're out on the on the campaign trail, what are you hearing from the voters in terms of their concerns right now in Georgia specifically? Oh, it's it's a uh, it's very clear. Um, the election has us uh, divided, uh, but then it's more than that. It's crime. Georgia right now is outrageously out of control, and we're short 1,200 police officers in our five major cities. Atlanta alone is short 430 police officers out of 1,700. Murder rate in Atlanta is the highest in the country. Rape and murder are up 60%. We have more illegals in Georgia than they do in Arizona. So crime is a major topic. Education and what we are now finding out the the left has been doing to indoctrinate our children under this governor's watch is very concerning. And the economy, you know, we're falling falling behind our sister states like Tennessee and Florida and Texas. Tennessee and Florida are outgrowing us economically by 35% in the latest quarter. And the primary reason is that they don't have a state income tax and we do. So I have proposed eliminating the state income tax. Those are the really three or four major issues that I hear across the state. The other thing right now I'm hearing, I had a little lady tell me the other day, she said, I didn't vote in January because I didn't I didn't trust the system. But she says, if I have to crawl across a room of broken glass, I'm going to vote this time. <laughs> are you, are you, uh, and I, I read that uh, Soros is uh, inserting himself once again. It's unbelievable. I mean, Zuckerberg, Soros, Bloomberg, Steyer, they buy these elections. I mean, Zuckerberg put $55 million in this election in uh, 2020 in nine counties, nine Democrat counties. We just had an announcement uh, yesterday that um, George Soros is putting a million dollars right now and directly into Stacey Abrams' governor campaign. This is nothing new. It's the tip of the iceberg. That's why I'm upset about Rivian. Rivian is a woke California mm-hmm. company that uh, the state did a deal with to bring them here. And we found out the day after our last debate, by the way, that what the price tag was. I've been complaining about this since December when I got in here. We found out last week that the state paid Rivian, will pay Rivian $1.5 billion. That's $200,000 per employee. That's incredible. There's no, I'm a business guy. There is no way that can be uh, give us any kind of economic return to the taxpayers of Georgia. So George Soros is in here. He's the largest shareholder in Rivian, $2 billion investment. Even for him, that's a significant investment. And here we are again, him inter- interceding into our politics here in Georgia. There's a follow-up story on that, uh, on the, on the wall street news this morning that Rivian after the share expiration lockup, after the IPO, uh, everybody's selling in the, in the, and the numbers are coming out. They're only producing about half of what they, uh, what the, the, you know, the roadshow said they would. So uh, it does seem to be a mess. Well, they, they first of all, the two concerns I had was yeah. were they, they did not consult the local people. They, they did not get any buy-in. They didn't talk about how they were going to deal with the infrastructure, roads, sewer, water, schools, etc. They ignored them. But they gave seven people down there $125 million for their land, 2,000 acres. The state bought that, gave it to Rivian at a price tag of $60,000 an acre. Now, that's about six to seven times what ordinary land goes for in that part of the state. But the big reason is they have this this election year deal, 7,000 jobs, $1.5 billion. It's a headline during an election year is all that is. The better way to do that is to grow organically like you would if you eliminated the state income tax, only the way Texas and Tennessee and Florida are doing right now. Well, talk to us about abortion. That's been big in the uh, in the news recently, and you came out against abortion in Georgia. Uh, what do you want our, our viewers to know about your, your policy there? Well, first of all, I was elated to see that Judge Roberts confirmed that the rumor was true last week. And so uh, after 49 years, Roe v. Wade will be overturned. 
even Justice Ginsburg in the 90s, before she was a Supreme Court justice, said Roe v. Wade was far overreaching. It was more draconian, in her words, more draconian than most of the laws in Europe, if you can imagine that, socialist Europe. She said, one day it will be overturned. Now, when it was overturned, I, when I saw the announcement, I made a, a statement that, uh, you know, if I were governor, the voters of Georgia need to know where I stand on this. If I were governor, I would call a special session immediately and ask them to ban abortions in Georgia. And I called on the governor to do the same thing. We, are, we should be shoulder to shoulder against the onslaught that we know is going to be coming from the left. Is that showing up, is that issue showing up in your polls? Senator, in, in, in the gubernatorial race? It's early, but yes, I think it is. I mean, people, this is a very conservative state, uh, although we have two radical U.S. senators right now because of the, uh, the debacle we had in the 2020 election. But yes, it's one of the top issues. I mean, but the other thing that I'm calling out is the crisis pregnancy centers. We have those in the state throughout, and I'm calling on more support for them from the private sector, from individuals volunteer, donate, whatever, because these people are really doing God's work and, and they're going to have much more work to do when this law, when this ruling becomes law. One of the issues in Georgia that we've been, uh, I, I think, really one of the only few people talking about is the is the influence of the Chinese Communist Party in the state. Uh, we have people, reporters up in North Atlanta that were actually followed around and threatened and they did the uh, they trace the uh, emails back to Tiananmen Square, literally. And it, it, so there is an influence here and it is influencing a lot of the politics. Do you do you have any thoughts on that as far as how you might counter that? Because we're a high tech center and, and the Chinese are obviously want to influence that. Well, first of all, we I was very instrumental in bringing the uh, Army's global cyber warfare uh, headquarters to uh, Fort Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. That's a big mm -hmm. deal. I was very involved in the United States Senate in classified efforts to deal with the cyber uh, issues from coming from China. They're real and they're in everyday uh, names that you know right now that our kids mm -hmm. are using. They're mm -hmm. gathering, China is gathering tremendous amounts of data on us. Now, I've been criticized for exporting jobs to China and so forth, which is an absolute mm -hmm. total nonsense, been debunked back in 14. Even our governor said those were lies in 2020 when I was running. And now, if it's convenient for them, they're now trying to get people to believe it. Mm -hmm. We know what China's doing. We know their responsibility in the COVID crisis. We now know what they're doing in the cyber warfare area. And this is one that we've got to stand up and, uh, and uh, acknowledge. We know that they have a 100-year uh, strategy. Michael mm -hmm. Pittsburgh wrote a book called The 100-Year Marathon. They want to be the hegemon again. After thousands of years of being the top voice economically, they want that again. And that means reserve currency. That means all the things that you can imagine going with that. I was on the Armed Services Committee and on Foreign Relations Committee in the United States Senate. We spent a lot of time, and I personally spent a lot of time, dealing with how to deal with the Chinese, the rise of China, number one, and also the Chinese threat to our independence here in the United States. Senator, um, we have held two American Conversations town hall on COVID, uh, one in July of 2021 and another one this past February. And we had a huge turnout. We had about seven or 800 people in the second yeah. one. And I, I'm I'm curious to know, and, and this is across the board for everybody running for office, about the impact of the COVID that, you know, it looks as if it's loosening up a little bit, but we know on the international level that they want to uh, consolidate and they want to basically give up the health autonomy to the WHO. What are your thoughts about, about all of the this? I mean, Everybody keeps on saying, you know, it's going to come. It's going to come back again. Um, and well, we know more. We know more. Yeah, and thank right. you. For that's a top topic. It's not, it's not so much a topic in our state because we're we're moving on. But from a global perspective, um, this really concerns me. The mm -hmm. performance of our global health professionals was woeful, woeful mm -hmm. in the, the COVID thing. Mask work. They don't work. Vaccines. Right. work. Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't work for Omicron. I mean, this is, I, I would say that uh, outside of President Trump's uh, full court press to get a vaccine in a year, the evidence is very bad for our, our international, particularly the WHO. There is no way as a leader in the United States, I would allow us to go down that road with the WHO. I mean, this is now becoming a political weapon and it should never have gotten that far. We know that China is culpable in here. Why did they shut down um, or allow international travel when they shut down internal travel. I mean, that that's a, they've never explained that. 
And so this is one that we have to wake up to. Now, look, I don't think we should overreact uh, you know, to what we see going on internationally right now. I think we've learned our lesson. We have evidence now that people who were essential workers, the infection rate of those essential workers was about the same as the rest of us who were quarantined. Mm-hmm. And so there's a real question about the benefit of actually shutting things down. Uh, mask, and there's a big debate about whether they work or not. Um, so I, I think the, the, prof- the medical professionals at an international level, particularly the political ones, were their performance was really lacking. Well, we, we know um, we just finished an event out in Ohio last week when the primary was going on. And as you well know, um, Governor Mike DeWine was, is up for re-election. He was the first governor that uh, said, you know, I want to offer if you take a vaccination that, you know, you can participate in a lottery. Would you go along with anything like that? No, no, I, I think it's an individual choice. Look, this is this is a, a war going on right now in my race and in the federal races. I mean, you see what's happened with the Biden administration. There's a war going on between individual individual liberty, individual choice and state control. That's what this is. It's the same thing with regard to what's being indoctrinated to our kids. It's the same thing that's going on right now in our economy. Who in the border? I mean, this is nothing about Schumer and Nancy Pelosi trying to get total control through the political uh, avenues that they have. That's why you saw Schumer put the uh, filibuster rule on the floor of the Senate this year. He wants total control. He wants to add four seats to the Supreme Court, D.C. and Puerto Rico as new states. And oh, by the way, he wants the holy grail for the Democrats. They want the voting law, the federal voting law, which will allow illegals. Of two million people that crossed the border this year, they would now be voters. So this is what is in their head. And that's why we have to be awake to all of these issues with regard to individual choice and individual freedom. Senator, um, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, in in terms of voting rights, you also have in a lot of states where, um, and and this is sometimes on the municipality level and sometimes on the county level where illegals uh, can vote. Is there any issue of that in in your race down there in Georgia? Oh, absolutely. Where illegals can actually vote? Well, no, they can't vote in Georgia legally. But there's certainly evidence that a lot of people voted illegally in this state. There's tons of that evidence. It was compelling. A court of law looked at that evidence in May of last year and ruled that the evidence of fraud is compelling. And he ruled to unseal the ballots in Fulton County. He later, though, in that case, ruled that voters don't have legal standing, if you can believe that. I've picked up that case personally to find out if a candidate has legal standing. I want those ballots unsealed because that's where the fraud was. It was in absentee ballots. It wasn't really in Dominion machines, although I want to get rid of the Dominion machine. I think the way to solve this election thing in Georgia is clearly it's not complicated. We need an election law enforcement agency solely dedicated to enforcing voting law. We don't have that now. Our governor was secretary of state for nine years. He was governor for four. And to this date, nobody's been prosecuted for any unlawfulness in in 2020 election. Then you have to have full audits of any certifiable race, not by somebody like the Secretary of State, by an outside entity. And the third, I want to get rid of the Dominion machines. You do that, we'll be fine. In the meantime, we have to do what Virginia did, and that is overwhelm the system, get out and vote. Would you support your attorney general to do some full investigations of what happened in the past? Oh, hell yeah. I've been begging that for for a year and a half of the Mm -hmm. Secretary of State, the attorney general, and the governor, and the lieutenant governor. Mm -hmm. All four of them have said no. It's a collusion. They are blocking evidence right now. The cell phone data and the evidence of ballot trafficking, the video evidence that's corroborated by the cell phone data and by bank accounts, money transacted to pay people to deliver illegal ballots. That evidence is real. It's irrefutable. It shows up in 2000 mules. I saw it in May of last year. The governor also saw it in May of last year ahead of the George and along with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And to this day, nobody's investigated anything. They have numbers, they have the names, All they have to do is put people under oath in a deposition and they'll find out where this money came from. They'll find out who created this illegal activity. It's massive, guys. It's irrefutable. That's the thing. The federal national media says that all the disputed claims have been overturned. They've just been debunked. That's not true. We've got a court case here in Georgia. These four or five elements of facts are real, irrefutable, and I'm not giving up until we finally get it to come to the light of day. We've been following the ballot inspection cases on uh, both avenues, which had split off pretty closely over the last year. Are, are you optimistic that uh, you're going to get a, a good hearing and, and some relief uh, from the next round of hearings on that? Well, I'm in a court case now where the judge right. rule about whether I have legal standing. If I don't have mm-hmm. legal standing as a candidate, 
and voters don't have legal standing. Guys, and if you don't, your elected officials, in this case, Republicans, if they're not going to enforce the law, I really don't know what the recourse is. Yeah. We yeah. have laws. If somebody steals your pickup truck, I have a feeling that they're going to investigate without a witness or whatever. They'll investigate anywhere. They'll find it and they'll, they'll prosecute. But when it comes to somebody stealing your boat, yeah. I, the evidence in Georgia over a year and a half is that nobody has been prosecuted for illegal activity related to any voting going on in 2020. I don't know what to tell you. There's plenty of irrefutable evidence that somebody should have been investigated and prosecuted. Uh, there, yesterday, I had a conversation with a friend. I have not seen the 2,000 mules, but I am told that the uh, the evidence that they that they put out there in the film is extraordinary in terms of tracking the people, the, the mules that were on the ground for the for the uh, votes. Did, were you were you pretty? I mean, when you saw it, David, was was it was it? I mean, irrefutable to you. Christine, I, I saw this with the head of the GBI, the head of the Republican Party, and a past governor in May of last year. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I had heard some of this, uh, you know, mm -hmm. rumor and all that. I knew True the Vote had been doing it. But when I saw the evidence, it wasn't in a presentation like you saw in 2000 Mule. There was no production. It was just the data. We saw witness right. testimony corroborated by their bank accounts corroborated by video evidence from security cameras at these drop boxes. And we saw the, the corroboration from the cell phone tracking. Now this is compelling. It's not any one piece of evidence. It all ties together. It was so compelling. Uh, there is no question that a massive fraud of ballot trafficking occurred in the state of Georgia, as well as nine other, eight other states from what I know. But in Georgia, they know that 242 people got paid $10 a ballot to deliver these ballots. And frankly, you, we have their cell phone data. We have the video of them doing it. Now what we want is an investigation to put these people, some of them anyway, under oath. Let's find out where the money came from, who did it, and let's get at uh, prosecuting these people. Senator, thank you for coming on the show. I know you're busy, but uh, we want to have you back on down the road. But how can people help your campaign? Where can they go to donate and get involved? Well, thanks, Todd. Yeah, votepurdue.com. We've got just uh, two weeks left in voting, and I encourage everybody to get out and vote early. The indications are that people are doing that. Last week was a record week for early voting, and I'm encouraging everybody to go to votepurdue.com. You can find out how to get on and, and find, I think it's 2000mules.com. You can see the uh, video, and I encourage everybody to do that. Guys, thank you. Enjoy the conversation. Take care. Well, we really enjoyed speaking to the senator, and we are very proud to announce that Georgia Record has endorsed Senator David Perdue for the governorship of Georgia. Uh, Christine, real quick before we bring on Marcy McCarthy, uh, I had my wife had some friends over to the house uh, a few weeks ago, and they're from Europe. And you know, Europeans love to wear slippers around the house, and they noticed some slippers by the door, and they went over and tried them, and they were the my pillow slippers, and they absolutely fell in love, and they ordered like ten sets for their whole family. So, if you want slippers that you will last a long time, are very comfortable, you have some, right, Christine? I do have some. I wear them all the time, and I put his pillow behind my back when I sit in this chair because I have a bad back some days. Yeah, no, yeah. Mike, Mike's slippers are, are like. Uh, they're like wearing tennis shoes, only they're, they're you know, warmer. Yeah. So you can get the best deals. They have 50% off right now for the slippers at MyPillow.com and use promo code CDM. That's promo code CDM. So I'm going to bring on now Marcy McCarthy, who is the head of the GOP in DeKalb County, a very liberal county outside or in Atlanta suburbs. But you have uh, done wonders there, Marcy. So thank you for coming on the show. Hi, Marcy. Well, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me today. And you're right. Actually, DeKalb County is the second bluest county in the state of Georgia. But the DeKalb Republicans are making headway there and changing that. What so tell us about that. You've got a lot of local races that you're very involved in. Um, tell us uh, what you're focusing on. So actually, we have 25 candidates on the ballot, as well as nine ballot questions that the DeKalb GOP put together for uh, the primary. Uh, so it is a record, actually, in 20 years. We have three school board candidates. It is a nonpartisan race. But at the end of the day, we are going to vote DeKalb Red. We've seen amazing headway uh, just in the two weeks already of early voting, where we have uh, in 2018, to give you an example, we had eight Democrats voting for every Republican. Now, fast forward 
uh, in the early primary timeframe, uh, with early voting, I should say, we have 3.5 Democrats voting for every single Republican. And the majority of the people are voting early and in person. And in the entire time period of early voting in 2018, we surpassed that in one week of early voting in 2022. So we are on, well on our way to vote to cab red. I, I can't wait to not be the second bluest county in Georgia. And I wonder who's going to take that spot. <laughs> are you finding, Marcy, that there's an awful lot of first-time primary voters in, the, in your county? Yeah, actually, we are. Um, there's a tremendous amount of first-time voters uh, in DeKalb County that have never voted in a prime in a primary before, and uh, we are hearing regularly from a lot of disgruntled Democrats that are saying we've had enough. But the key driver, quite frankly, in in DeKalb right now is the school board races. We mm -hmm. have decrepit schools where these uh, students are going to school in human waste, live electrical wires, where placed in sinks that they can't wash, they're scared to wash their hands, no privacy in their bathrooms, but uh, ceiling tiles falling from the ceiling. We've received $500 million, a half billion dollars in a CARES grant from the United States government, more than any of our 159 counties in Georgia, and only distributed 90 million of it in bonuses to school administrators. Uh, it is despicable, but they claim to have no money to fix our schools. And on top of that, we have 250 estimated to $280 million missing in East Blast money, which is a 1% tax that was uh, passed last year to help fix our schools and make our schools better, a better place. Uh, at the end of the day, I hear from many, many folks that used to live in DeKalb saying, oh, my family moved to DeKalb because we had the best schools, or I no longer live in DeKalb for assorted of reasons. I cannot wait to the day where people say, hey, I want to move to DeKalb because we have the best schools. It is a great place to do business, and it's a safe place to live. But we have a long way to go. We have to vote out the current incumbents, uh, all Democrats. Uh, overall and start voting some Republicans into office and have a two-party system. So your mama bears down there because that's the, the when we've been down into uh, to Georgia, I mean, the mama bears have just, you know, been absolutely riled up. So we have mama bears and grandmas and grandpas and concerned citizens alike. And actually two grandmas or two older women are running for, um, uh, school board and school districts two. I'm sorry, in four and six, we have Janet Hughes in six, and we have Bonnie Chapel in uh, district four. And we also have a DeKalb dad who's running in district two. So we have tons of parents, grandparents, concerned citizens uh, across the board that are just tired of seeing that our kids test scores. Did you know, I actually looked this up uh, the other day, our reading proficiency in DeKalb County is 37%. Uh, ready to read. And additionally, 27% of our students are ready to go to high school. So at the end of the day, we have a serious, serious problem taking into account the fact that our schools are overcrowded, uh, not suitable for human habitation. And it are just it's just an absolute mess. And people are not being fiscally responsible with the money that we are bringing in. We are the third largest county in Georgia uh, across the board. And Again, there's plenty of tax revenue coming in, but it's putting lining the pockets of bureaucrats and corrupt uh, elected officials. You know, we found that during COVID, Marcy, I think the upside to COVID is that people began to wake up and see what's happening in the schools uh, just because of the shutdowns. Not that I agree with the shutdowns, but I think it was very interesting that parents realized, you know, that there's there's more going on that they don't know. Uh, and now they now that they know, that's why they're mad as hell and they're they're basically, you know, getting involved. So that that's the upside, I think, of COVID. But it is outrageous that so much money was spread around and it didn't go to where it should have should have gone. Instead of the bonuses, they, they actually should have gone in for the infrastructure. Well, Christine, actually, it has some of it hasn't been spread around. So we still have four million hundred million to go to spread around. And some of it actually could repair some of those schools that are really, uh, really not inhabitable. I mean, you're, you're letting teachers and students, young people. We have 26 elementary schools in DeKalb County where your little babies are going that are growing up. Uh, but they're still little ones uh, at the end of the day that have facility scores of 60 points or less. That is a failing grade. 
uh, where your little babies are going to school to learn. Who's and, responsible? And Who's responsible? The DeKalb School Board, the, the people in power. And some of these people have been in power since 2012 and are running for higher offices now. We have a commissioner, one that's running in school district two, that's running to be a higher office for commissioner district two. And quite frankly, I don't see how he's fit to be a commissioner uh, at the end of the day, because he voted no to fix the North Georgia Hills High School, where his son graduated in 2018. So his mm -hmm. fellow classmates and alumni are going to school where raw sewage is running under their picnic tables. There's no privacy in their bathroom uh, in terms of stalls and the cleanliness factor. You have ceiling tiles. This blew the lit. The North Druid Hills High School high school students absolutely blew the lid all this off into Cab County. A lot of people have known about it for a long time, but I have to give a huge kudos to them and Decaturish because Decaturish uh, publication has really been doing the journalism and digging into finding that the corruption, the vice chairman of the school board has not filed his personal financial disclosure as required by law uh, in five years and did so late. So the last one he filed before filing it late this year was in 2017. So this is a man that's endowed to uh, allocate 500 million in CARES money and where the East Bloss money is, is beyond us. So here he can't even manage his own personal financial disclosures and we're expected to vote him back into office. So why, here- Why yeah. hasn't the Department of Health stepped in? That's a great question. I'd love to ask that to the Department of Health. I mean, you come in, you come into restaurants all over the state and shut them down when you have like, you know, rat feces on the floor and, you know, the ceiling tiles coming down over your, you know, where you're preparing your food. But why, where students are learning and eating and, and breathing, um, why the health department hasn't come and shut any of these places down is beyond me. And I, I find it unbelievable. I, I, and there are people that are going to private school because in droves or leaving to Cab County because they can afford to do so. But there's a whole lot of people that have been left behind here that can't afford to do that. Mm. And that actually inspired Bonnie Chappelle's uh, reason for running for school board in, in District 4 is because she was a single mom. And when she uh, had her son in the public schools, she was asked to be a parent, you know, overseeing the spelling bee. And then she looked at the spelling words and four of the words were spelled wrong. So she immediately yanked her son out of school, put him in private school and then had to work several jobs, you know, because she was on her own uh, to have him go to a private school and basically miss the poor little guy growing up. She did a good job though. He is a good yeah. guy. He's running for state Senator uh, as well. Jared Jones in, in Senate district 41. So there is some good that comes out of the utter madness of incompetency or stupidity. Yes, we're seeing an unprecedented number of our candidates that are first time candidates that were just tired of yelling from the couch and the sidelines saying, hey, someone else is going to fix the problems. They were very motivated and they said, you know what, we have to do it this time around. We have to be the voice of, of DeKalb because DeKalb deserves better. Marcy, you mentioned it, but uh, I, I don't know if our viewers caught that. It, they initially said they voted down any improvements to the school, but then once the students started posting YouTube videos, am I correct? Then they somehow yeah, well, had a change of heart. Of Is that how it went down? Todd, you're absolutely right. So all of them have been uh, posting their own various YouTube videos from uh, Cross Creek uh, or Cross Keys rather and, you know, uh, just uh, Druid Hills uh, started the train of them. They're all outraged, but you know, social media is a very powerful way to communicate out there, especially with the kind of visual mm -hmm. elements that they're able to portray in their own learning environments. Mm -hmm. it, it breaks every heartstring. So it actually breaks down every barrier, blue or red or, uh, or Democrats or Republicans. The fact of the matter is your children in DeKalb County are going to school in hazardous waste sites. Unbelievable. Did, wow. did, now, did Twitter take it down? Or did, no. Did they call it disinformation? No, you can you can also still see it at our website, decabgop.org. We've created a whole uh, landing page called Decab Deserves Better. So if anyone's really interested in seeing what kind of coverage is out there about our schools, come visit decabgop.org and 
click on the link to the DeKalb Deserves Better landing page and you can see for yourself. It's all out there. We've been collecting it and sharing it. Well, Marcy, I think we're probably going to have you on several times in the future, but because uh, DeKalb, <laughs> uh, I grew up there as a kid. But um, um, anyway, thanks see, for coming on and I appreciate uh, your time. So we'll have you back. <laughs> Thanks, Marcy. Well, thanks for having Take me. Take care. Thank you so much. Have a great Bye. day. Bye-bye. Who would have thought that now you Now we're going to bring on Kevin Grimley, who is... I was just going to say, Todd, who, who would have thought that we would be yeah. putting on political sites, the inside of the toilets at high schools because the government and the bureaucrats can't get their act together? Another yeah, red amazing. flag for America. Yeah. And another reason for independent media that'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. So uh, now I want to bring on Kevin Grinley. He is the Georgia State uh, District 48 senatorial candidate. Uh, welcome, Kevin. I thank you, Todd and Christine. Thanks for having me on. And thank you very much for what you guys have done in the area. Uh, I followed you since after the 2020 election. You guys have been one of the probably the best on the local scene coverage of what's been going on here. Definitely one of the only truth tellers there is. So thank you very much for what you've been doing. Thank you. We like the local stories uh, because it gets everybody riled up. Right. So, Kevin, uh, tell us about who you are and what your main points are and wh what you want to uh, want our viewers to know about uh, Kevin Grinley and your campaign. Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm running for state senate in District 48. It basically covers Sugar Hill, Suwannee, Johns Creek, Alpharetta, parts of all those areas in South Forsyth. I got started in politics really after the 2020 elections, when I decided, like your last guest, Ms. McCarthy said, to get up off the couch and stop complaining to actually get involved. Um, I was a precinct committeeman, but more importantly, uh, I got involved as a grassroots election integrity organizer. Uh, I met up with a great group of patriots in uh, Gwinnett County. We've passed, uh, I passed an audit resolution in uh, Gwinnett County at our GOP. There was some establishment uh, resistance there, but we got it through. I also helped other counties do it in the state of Georgia. I believe you guys have covered this on your site as well. Um, our team, I started up a door-to-door -door canvassing operation in Gwinnett County, and we've successfully challenged voters at the Gwinnett County Elections Board. Um, I've helped look at Dropbox videos from Gwinnett County. Some of our team's videos that we found actually got into the 2000 Mules movie. So yeah. I view myself, and I just view myself as an ordinary guy who decided that we we cannot rely on our politicians to, to save this country. I feel like we're in a we are heading towards a dark place of regular people don't step up and run. And I never, I never served my country in the military, and this isn't close to the same thing. But for me, this is what I think the closest thing I can do right now for my country, my next generation, my kids. Uh, so that's why I'm running. I think there's a ton of um, corruption at the Gold Dome, the state capitol in Georgia, mm -hmm. um, corporate. And I believe uh, you had Patrick Witt on. Uh, he's talked before about the corporations are not the friends of the American people, at least not right now. Uh, I'm a mm -hmm. capitalist, but... Uh, right now, they've been on the wrong side of medical mandates, on the wrong side of wokeness. They fought election integrity laws, and they have way—they have an overwhelming influence at the Gold Dome, and it, it can't continue any longer. So that's why I'm running. Good for you. So, now, what about your your opposition? How, how many people in the field? Uh, I have one opponent in the GOP primary, uh, Sean Still, and he and I are definitely uh, very much different in this regard. Um, he has a history. I believe the Georgia Record did a great job with a story recently on his uh, basically running smear campaigns against grassroots candidates, uh, seemingly in order to protect uh, the establishment and the corporate donors, corporate lobbyists. And it's the exact kind of thing that that made me want to run because uh, the little guy needs to have a voice at the table as well. And you know, I tried to focus mainly on myself, but he he gets max contributions from the from the Chamber of Commerce, from a lot of businesses in his in his field which I don't know what that's about. But it, for me, I, all my donations are like small donations from people I know, people that believe in me, grassroots volunteers. And I feel like that that's what I want my campaign to be about. It's about the people bringing the government closer to them. So um, he, he, is, he and I are very different in that way and also the way we see the world. So tell us about the, uh, the state party. There's been a lot of pushback against grassroots candidates like yourself coming in into the political process. Have you seen that on, on, in your race at all? Uh, yeah, I have. I mean, I've had it within even just, you know, within the GOP at the local level. There are definitely mm -hmm. some elements, uh, especially pro-camp elements that uh, are mm -hmm. really trying to keep a tamp down. Outsiders coming in and kind of turning over the apple cart. But, um, you know, I've had I've had people um, ask me not to 
try to convince me not to run um, mm -hmm. my opponent and somebody high up in the GOP. And it was, it's fine. I mean, I understand you want to conserve resources, but I always feel like competition is a good thing. And uh, yes. so, so for me, that wasn't going to dissuade me because there was somebody else I was considering run against, uh, running against uh, David Clark in a, a local house district. But he's, when I found out he was running, I'm like, oh no, I know you're a good guy. I don't need to run against you. I'll let you do your yeah. thing. There's a reason yeah. why I decided to run against this guy and not, and not David Clark. Because I, I think I'm a better candidate. Let me ask you something. What do you do in your real life outside of politics? And what does your opponent do in his real life outside of politics? Yeah. So I work at a grocery store. I work at Publix and I live a simple life. Um, my opponent owns a pool surfacing company, uh, I believe is what he does. And it's apparently the largest in the Southeast. I mean, I take nothing away from the guy. He's a very successful business guy, but running a business and being a representative of people are very, very different things. I actually have a legal background as well. Um, so I do understand the law and I think it's going to really, it's already equipped me in understanding the laws in Georgia in terms of elections, in terms of writing affidavits to find illegal voters in Georgia. You have to understand the residency requirements when you write these affidavits. So I feel like, you know, in, in, God works in mysterious ways. And, and now I've been able to use that legal training in a way I never anticipated, but it's really come in handy. So uh, he, he's a business guy, but I really think the things we need to do at the Gold Dome, you don't need a business background. You just need to have kind of a backbone and the courage to do it and not be afraid about David Ralston or Brian Kemp if they get upset with you. Uh, we've had too many people. I've been so frustrated and everyone I talk to, especially in my group, we feel like the people that are our representatives of the Gold Dome are not saying what we think. They're refusing, even if they claim their hands are tied, which I, for example, I found that they have explicit subpoena power in the ethics committee of the state house and the state senate i believe i'm the first person in the state of georgia to discover that but the whole time they've been telling us they had no ability to do any kind of an audit so that that really yeah. upset me and the fact that they wouldn't speak up and say this is not right what's happening they're afraid to go against the leadership and I, I, people just can't stand it anymore that they're not reflecting the anger and the the frustration that we have in georgia that our election was stolen so that's why i'm running there's other issues i care about school choice medical mandates. I think we should do a much better job like they've been doing in, in Florida, protecting not just public school mandates, but also mm -hmm. private business mandates. And I you know, Todd, I know you've covered in great detail this topic, especially within the military. I feel like that's mm -hmm. a national security threat if we're limiting yeah. our military by forcing these totally irrational uh, gr greed-based mandates on them. And frankly, it might be worse than the greed. It might be intentional to, to bring our military down. I don't know. I don't have right, any proof right. of that, but it scares me what our military could be facing. What about the, uh, we asked this to most people, the, the influence of the Chinese Communist Party and the high-tech centers in Georgia. Do you have anything to say about that or, or fears about I'm, that? I'm very concerned about that. It's one of the things I'm running on is sort of, you know, they did have a bill in the state uh, Senate, I believe this past year to not accept any, uh, allow any Chinese companies to bid on state contracts. It ended mm -hmm. up not even getting out of committee, I don't think, but at least at least it was put out there. I'll give them credit for that. But nothing, mm -hmm. as far as I know, is with any teeth has been passed to limit the influence they have here. I mean, Georgia Tech has a, an affiliate campus in mm -hmm. communist China, which right. I, I cannot for the life of me understand how. If you've been paying attention, you know that China, communist China is not the is the enemy of the United States. And they want to destroy us. Now, the Chinese people are not our enemy, but the government, the Chinese Communist Party, most certainly wants to take us down. So why we would have a university open up over there, why we're opening up so many investments into our state from mm -hmm. communist China, I do not understand because they obviously wish ill for us. And yeah. that's something that I'm, I'm very intent on doing once I get into the gold dome to, to see how we can limit that at the state legislature. I know that when we have been down in Atlanta, we have also seen uh, Chinese actually drive around in caravans and criticizing the CCP. Have you seen that in, in your uh, I, I, Being involved with the GOP, there are a lot of like Chinese Americans, some of them, you know, come over from China who are very much awakened to what's going on, what this threat is. So they recognize any kind of claims of, of oh, you're racist against uh, Asian Americans. They understand what total nonsense that is. This is a national security threat, has nothing yeah. to do with race. And uh, they're very awakened. They've probably been more aware of what's been going on than people like myself. We just recently woke up after the 2020 election, but I think from their life experience, they've seen this coming down the pipe for a while. And I'm sure you guys have as well. But for people like me that just were on the couch grumbling for years, right. didn't really right. see through the fog. Now we see and we're taking action. Do you think the mask is off or the people are waking up in your generation, Kevin, as far as I to that? 
I believe so. I for certain, I definitely believe so. Especially just at the when I was able to pass that audit resolution in Gwinnett County, I don't. There was people had not brought it up at all before I brought it up as far as getting it passed. But once I did bring it up, it passed overwhelmingly because there were so many new people in the party. These new precinct committee men like Steve Bannon and Dan Schultz have been getting involved. These people, a lot of them are relatively young, but they're getting involved and they are willing to go against to buck the leadership and to, and to buck the GOP establishment. And they're getting involved in a way they never were before. So I definitely, I see lots of young candidates. I was at the Georgia Ride to Life forum uh, a few days ago, and there's so many young candidates my age, maybe a little older, but they're all newcomers. They're all people from different walks of life who a lot of them were spurred mm -hmm. because of what they saw after 2020, plus the lockdowns, the BLM, all of it. They saw this country's, yeah. it's not just politics, it's a threat to our existence. So I, they're very activated. And I was so uh, encouraged to see so many people from across the state that I never met before, but it's awesome. That's great to hear. It's great to hear. Kevin, thank you. I think we're, I think Taddy well, Kevin, I, I think uh, we'll have you back on the show down the road. Obviously, I think. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Kevin. We'll have you back. I appreciate. Thank you very your time. much, Todd. I appreciate it. Thank you, Christine. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, bye. All right, take care. So, Christine, you uh, where have you been this weekend? Well, Friday night I was in Talbot County, uh, Maryland, out on the Eastern Shore, and I was uh, I got to hear Jordana Schifanelli, who is running for lieutenant governor, and she's on the team with Dan Cox. Dan Cox is the GOP. He's challenging the establishment. He's in the state house in uh, in uh, Annapolis. Donald Trump has endorsed Dan. So, I mean, it was very interesting. And when we're talking about you know new people to the process. Uh, Jordana was a mother who was just mad as hell because of everything that was going on in Queen Anne's County and she, Queen Anne's County. And she took on the school board and, and for CRT and she fighting for parental rights and against mandated vaccinations and mandated masks. And she, she really did. I mean, she did wonders over there and that's why Dan picked her as Lieutenant Governor. And then last night I was in, uh, Loudoun County. Um, Virginia, and to listen to uh, Ian Pryor, who used to work in the Trump Department of Justice Public Information. He was speaking, but there was a whole group of people there, including former Congressman Frank Wolf dropped by, and his son, his grandson, who I did not know until last night, uh, Caleb Max, is running to replace, uh, the, the is running for the congressional seat in the Republican primary, and it, he's running on a human rights, um, religious uh, persecution against the CCP. I mean, he, he's he's a very impressive young man. And so I did not know, but it was good to see Frank last night. And I, I told him, I said, we will definitely be covering, you know, Loudoun County and definitely be, you know, interviewing uh, his grandson. So, and then I, and then I told all the people uh, in Maryland that uh, we're going to be interviewing everybody else that's running over here because I mean there are people just just like every time we do this show mm -hmm. in Georgia and in other places and it doesn't matter whether it's Philadelphia you know it doesn't matter whether it's Ohio it doesn't matter whether it's Georgia Florida Connecticut Maryland people who have never been involved are getting out I mean that's the that's the upside mm -hmm. of the downside of the last two years I mean if nothing else. The mask has been ripped off the swamp, I think, in every direction. There's so It's so voluminous, you can't, it's tough to take it all in. But everybody has their epiphany, and they're, they're throwing in their hat. And I think that's the upside of, you know, the 2022 elections. And I think people will be, hopefully, you know, we'll see a tide in the turn of history and come November. Well, CD Media is going to be putting out a lot of new coverage in multiple states and uh, possibly some new shows. Uh, but please go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CDM and get those slippers at 50% off. It's a great deal. We uh, love and support CDM and, and support patriots who are trying to save the country. And with that, uh, we'll see you next week on the Georgia 2022 show. I can guarantee you it'll be an exciting show like this one. Take care.